You are tuned into the Generation Green podcast, amplifying the voices of Black youth fighting for climate and environmental justice. We are your hosts, Destiny Hodges. This is Jalen Ward. And I'm Ayana Albertini Florent. This season is called Black and Breathless, and every episode will aim to connect environmental factors to justice issues. That is known as environmental justice, and it covers everything on the rungs of white supremacy to police brutality, environmental racism to capitalism. This is the voice of Jalen Ward. This episode is the first part in a series of interviews connected to environmental justice with an extra attention to the intersection of spiritual, mental, and environmental wellness. This is our chance to check in with outward practitioners of Afrocentric faiths, religion, spiritual beliefs, and divination systems. You are in no way expected to be a theologian of your faith. We are speaking from experience and emotion. Today, I have the privilege to introduce our first guest in the series, Journey Harris, a graduate of Howard University with a bachelor's in psychology. During her studies, she has integrated community development to merge her attention to mental health with community access. She is an all-around cultivator of life, and she is well involved in community gardening, outdoor exploration, and speaking from the soul as a former host of the Fake Deep podcast, which is still streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Please give a warm virtual welcome to our guest, Journey Harris. Thank you. Thank you for having me, you all. Of course. So in getting into our faith today, um, what's everybody's background? Let's share a little bit about where we come from, what we practice, and what it means to us. So Ayana here. Um, I am a practicing Christian. Um, Unlike most Christians, I um, am not super religious. I'm more so focused on the major tenets of the religion, which are uh, love, compassion, faith, um, and hope, really. Um, For me, when I read the Bible or the New Testament, I see Christ as a radical um, and someone who is, um, and someone who came to disintegrate systems of injustice. Um, So that is my version of Christianity. Um, And just for me, um, my faith helps me to manage my emotions. It helps me to relieve anxiety. Um, It helps me with depression because I know that I'm loved from an eternal source. Um, It just energizes me and it, it empowers me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So um yeah i i believe that choosing your faith is almost like a little bit of a compatibility test and i would never try to force anyone else to have those beliefs for me it's just what works best for myself so what about y'all i vibe with that i vibe with that i've tried on the christian shoes and they didn't fit um i didn't grow up religious my parents really didn't go to church. I took them to church when my grandmother passed. And um, it was an AME Zion church. That's where my aunt goes. So I was just used to going there. And my eighth grade teacher, 
used to take us to church on like an excursion. I don't know how legal that is, but it was fun. It was in Times Square and it was just a relief. It was something I never did before and it allowed me to connect with my ancestors. So that's really important in the faiths that I explore. I, I consider myself a little bit of a cosmocentric mystic. I, I stole that from one of my brother's priest, priest of men. He has his book called Cosmocentric Mystic. And it, it just really helps you elevate your connection to your higher self and establish principles of spiritual cultivation. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm just exploring. Um, I consider myself to be an herbalist. Not mm, I don't have the credentials, but an herbal woman. And that is very important in my spiritual cultivation. So I'm exploring Ifa and um, I'm exploring this, you know, Egyptian system of spiritual cultivation. And um, yeah, I'm just exploring. For me, and this is Journey speaking, um, I practice Christianity and um, right now I'm definitely looking into Christianity as a liberation, uh, liberation practice. My grandma, she has a master's in divinity, so she's always kind of been, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little later, but she's always been kind of a guide to me as far as the religion because I've asked questions that I've been afraid to ask in other places to her. And she's had that background of not only being somebody who grew up in church, but somebody who uh, studied divinity in general. And so, yeah, Christianity, it's interesting because I, sometimes I find myself angry at the religion. Um, and I think that's okay because I'm not angry at my God. I'm just angry at the ways that uh, Christianity has been abused and used throughout history. And so I'm really hoping to be influential in the way that Christianity is seen as a liberating uh, belief and something that is, as, uh, as I think it was Ayana who said earlier, can be a relief to, you know, mental health issues or um, just having a source to connect to. It takes so much pressure off of me knowing that I'm not my own source. I think I've tried that and it made me really nervous. And so I feel like I'm becoming this, I wouldn't say lazy, but a little bit more laid back because I'm surrendering. I think that's the biggest part to my, to my belief is surrendering to God, surrendering um, all control to the one who created it all. Um, for me personally, and this is destiny, um, kind of like Ayana said, religion or spiritual practices is for me, a compatibility situation. Um, I didn't really grow up with the religion per se. However, my grandmother is a Jehovah's Witness. Um, my father is a pastor now. He wasn't always throughout my life. Um, he was a man of faith, but he's a pastor now. Um, and so I've had a very interesting journey when it comes to spirituality and faith, like many people, I'm sure. Um, but for me, Christianity, I think through the ages of like, somewhere around 11 to maybe 14 was really big in my life because it was just a place of comfortability and a place of comfort. Um, I guess that's a better word. When a lot was going on in my personal life, it just felt like a sanctuary for me to come and release and be in community with people who, who were there for me, which is something I hadn't experienced before to that magnitude, especially when it comes to vulnerability. And I feel like with a lot of spiritual practices and faith, vulnerability is a key thing. And I had just never been able to be vulnerable like that until I entered such a space. 
Um, but in growing up and, you know, learning about history and doing research for myself and um, just experiencing life, I've come to consider myself, I don't like labels, but maybe as Jalen mentioned, kind of a cosmocentric um, mystic or a mystic for lack of better words, because I explore a lot of different faiths, but I don't subscribe to any dogma. I um, see the interconnectedness of them all and take a little bit from here and there or, you know, like see what works for me. And I think that's important for everybody to do um, if they choose to, you know, see what works for them. Um, but so, yeah, I mainly focus and study a little bit in African spirituality, um, but really focusing on the power within, I feel like if we take the time to sit and listen to ourselves and cultivate ourselves, it makes life a lot easier and we find out what our purpose here really is and it just makes life a lot better. Um, but so with that being said, how does your faith comfort you, especially in times like right now with everything that's going on in the world, um, with movements, with organizing, with movement building, how does your faith comfort you? Um, for me, it's it's been a hectic time for everyone, um, but especially graduating during this time and having to have the pressure of having a job or some kind of follow-up or post-graduation plan, it became super stressful, and I thought I had a plan. I thought I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was supposed to get my PhD in psychology. I was going to pursue graduate school. And I, again, when I say surrender, I truly surrendered and my plans got turned around. And so right now I'd say my faith has been so influential in the way that I pursue life. Um, I've been having conversations with friends just about working. My other friend is also a graduate and we're like, we do not want to work. I don't believe we were born to, to work and die. I believe we we're born to live. And so right now, my faith has been directing me as far as how am I going to make a living um, and emphasis on living and not, you know, just make money for the sake of working and making money. So, yeah, it's been guiding my career decisions, which is, like I said earlier, it takes so much weight off of myself. Um, it gets a little scary sometimes explaining my plans and my thought process to people because it's such an invisible process like to tell somebody, yeah, I just graduated and I'm trusting God, that does not fly with grandmas and dads and moms, but um, it's working and I see things working. Like I said, it's invisible, but um, yeah, I, I feel like God has really called me to continue to be with people and be with my community because I thought I was going to abandon that through uh, PhD studies and God called me back to it. And so, yeah, my, my faith has just been really interesting in the way that I, I navigate my career from this point forward. I feel that you should always trust that things are going to align, but I don't really see myself relinquishing that, that control. And maybe I have an issue with control, but the thing I like about Ifa is that it's, a lot more involved like I feel a lot more involved in my communication with with God whereas before it was just words and then I wait on it but now it's words and actions and sacrifices that I have to make to you know see some results but it all calls for patience but I really feel you on just like 
not having it written out, not trying to, you know, connect the dots and just let it, letting go and let that greater being, let God just pivot you and being aware of that. So I feel that. Similar to what Jalen said, um, I also don't really relinquish that control, I think. But, you know, to each their own, whatever works for you um, is your business, do you? But for me personally, I don't really relinquish that control because I think a part of, hmm, this is interesting, but I think a part of relinquishing um, that control or giving up that control is allowing for influence. And I think there's so many, um, and this isn't for everybody or speaking about anybody's faith particularly, but this is just me expressing how I feel about giving up that control. Um, I think that we all have the path, the power to yield our own lives. And so for me, when we look at the etymology of words or the definitions of words and terms, you know, I believe that we're all gods, not with a capital G as some people prefer. Um, but I believe we're all gods in the sense that we're able to control our own life, our own path, and, you know, make decisions that ultimately determine our future. Even in Christianity, there is, you know, free will. Basically, you have the power to determine your future. And I think taking control of that and really learning how to master that is extremely powerful. Um, even in the words we speak, which, you know, in several different faiths, there's talked about power with words. And so I just believe, I see everything through a paradigm of everything is energy and we all operate in our own paradigms um, for better or for worse, depending on how you see it. Um, but operating in a paradigm of seeing everything as energy um, allows me to see that basically we're all manipulating energy. We're all energy. And so with that, it's, it's just, it's easier for me to flow and know that I have control over myself and what I'm doing. Um, and for some people, they take advantage of that and control others around them. But for me, that's, that's how I look at things. So in a way to be comforting in this time, specifically um, having control of my own energy and having control of what's going on around me or having control of where I move throughout these situations is comforting. I really love um, those different perspectives that you all presented. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm a Libra, but I think it's all about balance. Um, I think that there's definitely a balance point between surrendering to something bigger than yourself um, and feeling empowered and tapping into your own power um, to be able to control your life and your destiny. Um, and there's also a balance between um, allowing the unseen uh, trusting the unseen and how it works. And also, like Jalen mentioned, Amy Fah, like being able to see tangible outcomes from your faith. So I think that I um, ultimately, most people's faiths encompass all of these things at different phases um, on, in the spiritual journey. For me, I really resonated with what Journey said um, about trusting her next steps as she moves forward um, with her career. I'm in a similar place right now. I graduated a year ago, I work full time. I really hate my job. <laughs> I think it's um, taking a lot of my um, energy away for me. And I'm thinking about leaving it so that I can pursue work that I'm passionate about. Um, but in order to leave my, the security of my job, um, I've been praying, I've been praying to be able to take that leap of faith. Um, so though that's a leap of faith, 
that I need to have trust God for, I know and I have to trust that God will empower me um, once I take it to know that I can do what I'm passionate about. I can work towards my dreams and actually succeed. So for me, it's like walking with God. It's doing a little bit of everything that you all mentioned. So that was really interesting to hear you all touch on different aspects of it. So this word indigenous, it really, it really, it really trumps me, but um, we're going to, you know, outline some of the indigenous African spiritualities and societies. So I, I've mentioned Ifa, and that is a West African spirituality commonly practiced in Nigeria amongst the Yoruba people. But um, there are other West African faiths like Akom of the Akan people in Ghana. Um, and there's, there's several more, but these are the widest known in the diaspora just because of how how many white people stole us from those regions, just to be honest. But um, Ifa is more commonly known um, in its forms like voodoo out of Haiti, hoodoo out of the South, lukumi in Cuba, candomble in Brazil, um, santeria across Latin, American, uh, Latin America. So those are like some of the Ifa systems. Um, then we have, of course, our monotheistic um, systems like Christianity. Um, Christianity is from Africa, okay? Don't let nobody tell you that's a white man's religion because it started with us, okay? Don't let nobody tell you that this is the oppression because it's really ours to claim. Monotheism is an indigenous African belief. And um, we also have Islam. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of Catholics. And we have more Olympian type. I hate that word because the Greeks didn't create anything, but English is so limiting, y'all. But we you have can say our polytheistic. Polytheistic. Okay. All right. There are several polytheistic spiritualities in Africa for which I do not have the name of because the internet has just not taken on the search engine to expand to our spiritual face. And trust me, I've looked, but I haven't seen much of it. But in Ifa, we have different Loa respect, respected to voodoo and Orisha respective to Candomble, Lukumi, Santeria. In Santeria, there's several saints that are considered as, you know, I don't want to say sub-gods, but just as important, different delivery systems of God spirit. So there's that. That's the overview. So I think many of our religions cross over, and many of our religions are syncretized at the same time. And that's what I really love about spirituality, because it, it's like, it's flexible. Like, it's up to you. It's really a compatibility test. And... um you know, it's really up to us to take that on. And I, I really dislike that there's so much, my faith is better than your and ours. I really dislike that faith can really start wars and oppress people. So how have you guys navigated that? Like, I know that was my biggest rift when I practiced Christianity. So would anybody like to take on just that feuding between faith, like how you guys have navigated that? Because that's real. Um, I don't really know how to answer this, I'm gonna try. 
So as a Christian, um, I really, really baffles me when um, Christians try to assert some type of superiority of their faith or try to claim, you know, their faith is the one true religion or whatever, because um, just looking in the Bible, like Christianity sprouted from another faith, which was Judaism, right? So, I mean, Jesus wasn't born a Christian, right? So um, we already know that another religion was valid in its own right, in its own existence, because that's where Christianity kind of has its roots. Um, and then I'll, from Christianity, we get Islam. So, I mean, honestly, I think of faiths as parallel. I don't think of them as one above another. Um, I ultimately think that sometimes I use God and universe interchangeably. Um, there was a time where I was just spiritual and I didn't subscribe to a specific um, religious belief, but God and universe, it can be used interchangeably because God is the universe. God created the universe. Um, those things are synonymous for me. So I think when you boil things down to their fundamental concepts, you kind of lose a lot of the tension about, you know, and a lot of the dogma that comes with your religious beliefs. Yeah, for me, um, and I'm, I'm really happy that you brought up Voodoo, Jalen, because I'm reading, I started reading Mama Lola today, which is about a, a voodoo priestess in Brooklyn. And for me, I'm fascinated with with all types of religions and spiritualities. Um, and there's a lot of research that one has to do to, to understand things and to be able to, I guess, like rep your own faith in a way that's respectful and also understanding of the histories of other faiths, right? And so for me, I had to ask a lot of questions about why exactly do I say I'm Christian? And so that came with me like, keeping the title for a little bit, ditching the title for a, another bit, and reclaiming that title. That's, I guess that's like the phase I'm in right now is reclaiming the title of Christianity for myself. Um, but asking those questions allowed me to explore other faiths with um, as little bias as possible, because at the end of the day, we all have questions and we're all seeking for answers. And I think faiths across the board and spirituality practices across the board they are, are here for us to have answers, for us to provide answers or to have answers. Um, and so I, I remember when I was looking into Islam a little bit, not to practice, but just out of curiosity and understanding the fundamental aspects of Islam was very helpful in my own spiritual journey. So understanding, um, like speaking to my Muslim friends about Jesus Christ as a prophet help me understand like how do I interpret Jesus Christ in the Bible um speaking to somebody who is of the Akan spirituality if I pronounce that wrong my bad but um and hearing them say that there are intercessors between God and humans help me understand in my faith oh okay like I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross so like that action was my intercessor and so I think understanding um or doing research on and asking questions, doing research, asking questions, and getting answers from people who actually practice different spiritualities allows me to deeper 
um, have deeper confidence in my own spirituality. And so I feel like there should never be an intimidation if I'm speaking to somebody who does practice voodoo, who does practice hoodoo, who does practice Islam, like having that sense of security in my own faith because I'm not um, shaken up by the answers that other faiths provide is is something that I think everybody should practice. And I know people get on social media often. I saw a reference to this earlier. Um, and they, when they rep their faith, they do it in a way that's bashing other faith. And I think that's where, that's where the lack of confidence comes from. Like, if I'm truly confident about what I believe in, there's no reason for me to spit on and say nasty things about somebody else's belief because it's like, okay, like, this is mine and that is yours. And I want to understand yours as to why it is yours um, and simply leave it at that. Yeah, I'm glad Jalen raised the question of how to navigate kind of that I guess to a degree it can be guilt because I've been there and I felt guilty. Like how could I subscribe to, you know, something specifically referring to Christianity, but this was my experience. How could I subscribe to something that promised my ancestors freedom while enslaving them? And that to me was like one of the biggest things and one of the biggest reasons why I was like, you know, like I just cannot be a Christian, but that was me personally. Um, And it was just the thing, thing of like thinking about how number one I've always been some someone to try to understand everybody and where they come from you know I've always tried to see the interconnectedness of us all and and many times for me in my experience um, being of Christian faith or being around the people that I was in church um, it didn't always seem like that was the case even though it was spoken about you know widely like we're supposed to love everyone but when you turn around and close doors you're talking about what this person wears or what that person does or you're spitting upon and I don't want to I mean not literally but you know like you're downplaying someone else's faith or you're just refusing to to talk about it or hear their perspective and to me that's just not really love and I don't want to operate like that so that's why I no longer align myself with Christianity although in the terms of philosophy I believe Christ was an excellent philosopher um, in the sense of loving everybody love thy neighbor as you love yourself etc etc but for me personally, I think that was one of the hardest things to deal with <clears throat> while being um, of Christian faith. It was just like, you know, there's there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that isn't included in the history books. And for that to not be talked about widely within the church that I was a part of or any of the churches that I've had experiences with really said a lot to me because I don't, we can't run from our history, you know, and I'm not saying that we should talk about it every single day, but it needs to be acknowledged and we need to address the harm there and we need to heal um, because it's okay if you choose whatever religion, whatever spirituality you want to practice. But I think it's very important to be knowledgeable of the history, um, at least as much as you can be knowledgeable of because, you know, again, a lot of things are included and to not um, exclude anyone or to not judge people from where they come from. And I think that's a really big part of Christianity and a lot of faiths. Um, is to not have judgment, but how often do we truly practice that? And again, that goes back to the interconnectedness of us all and the interconnectedness of a lot of religions or spiritual practices, because there's a lot of life lessons that we can learn from. I think ultimately, religion or spirituality is just man's attempt to explain phenomenon. And if you go back to a lot of communities and civilizations, that's what they created religion or religious practices to do, is to um, explain phenomenon. And so in doing so, in the current context of the world, we have to realize the interconnectedness of us all to get anywhere and to have a flourishing life on this planet. And so that means that no matter what your faith is, you have to see everybody 
as an extension of you. And so I personally align myself with a lot of the principles of Ma and Hermetic principles. Um, and so I believe that the all is the mind and basically we are all extensions of one another experiencing life or experiencing all that exists from different perspectives. And I think there's so much power in that and a lot of African uh, spiritualities and traditions center that, the interconnectedness of us all. And for me, that's a necessary step again in creating the world we want to live in. Wow, if I could clap without it messing up the audio, I would. But I think you bring up a good point. Religions can become societies. And in society, we cannot get away from our ego. You know, we cannot get away from that. But spirituality is supposed to connect us to our higher selves. So while you can be a very you know, well-versed person in your faith, you can still neglect your spiritual health. And that's very possible across any faith because we're, we're trying to navigate our ego, really. At, at least that's how I see it. And we create, you know, reasons to explain why we're here and who created this place and what happens when we leave. And that's, that's the basis of you know, these texts and these beliefs. So we create society in that, and then we find comfort in people, and we forget about our ori, our higher selves. We get deep into the study, and we're like, yep, I'm a theologian. But you forget the rituals that you need to feed your spirit. So I think, I think it's, I think it's very important to point that out, that that happens across all faiths. And you have to decide, most people have to decide whether they want to be a spiritual person or if they want to have a religion, if they want to have a community. So I want to know how Journey and Ayana navigate that um, specifically and how you guys have solidified your faith in, um, in Christianity. Does that mean, you know, having your individualized study and study that you have with yourself to create that personal connection? Or is church very necessary for you? Because that's when we introduce society, at least from my perspective. So I just thank you, Jalen, for that posing that question. Um, so I want to highlight a quote that you said, uh, religions become societies. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that when you bring a group of human beings to do anything together, man knows how to ruin a good thing. Um, so when I say man, I mean human being. So um, I think that a lot of the things you all have pointed are extremely accurate, um, but they're things that people and their issues bring to the table. Um, but even so, even though people are flawed, it's important that we, we still embrace them. I think the the thing that I love about Christianity is that God gives us grace. And though we are imperfect, God gives us, he waits for us. He, he gives us the strength to become uh, closer and closer to him. Um, and then I think the real marker of, of, of who you are as a Christian, um, navigating your ego, like Jalen said, is how deeply you, how deep your capacity is for love. So I think love is the ultimate dissolver of the ego. 
Um, and that is the main tenet um, from Christianity that should be a takeaway if, if spare anything else. Um, and then I actually heard a sermon last, I think it was last Sunday, um, or the Sunday before, and a pastor said, your love for God can be measured by your love or the, or the way that you treat the person that you hate the most. So he was actually preaching to a mostly white um, crowd. And I know they were like turning in their seats about this statement. But really, if you can harbor resentment and anger and judgment, like uh, Destiny was describing, against others, against your brethren, you can't, you, your love for God isn't justified in that. So you have to bring a clean heart to God. So nobody's perfect. I'm very far from perfect. But every day that I um, replenish my spirit by praying, by trusting God, by reading his word, um, by going to church and communing with others, um, that's a day that I take another step forward in that journey. And to answer your question a little bit more directly, um, I think both are important. I think individual practice at home um, is super helpful for me just to use my own mind and navigate the text and uh, God's communication for my own, for myself. Um, but finding the right church home also takes time. I'm non-denominational, so I've been tr visiting different churches before COVID. Um, so that takes time as well. Um, as with anything. So uh, I think both are really important. I'm gonna pass it off to Journey. Yeah, this is such a good question. So I'll start by saying when I was around, let's say 13, 14, um, I started exploring witchcraft. And I say witchcraft very broadly because I didn't know uh, about African spirituality. And so what I had access to at the time, because in my opinion, I feel like African spirituality is protected in the best way possible. Um, at least it was in like 2013, 2014. Like I was not, I did not have easy access um, being in, in the suburbs. Like I did not have easy access to people who were practicing Ifa or, and whatnot. But I, you know, I, I started finding my way into like pagan practices, very white. Um, I'm just gonna dot, dot, dot. But anyways, one thing that I learned from that period of my life is how important rituals are to me. And so that's something that I integrate into my, my relationship with God. I don't really use the term religion for myself um, because like I said, I still have a, a lot of disdain for religion as a, as a con construct. Um, but in my relationship with God, I do use a lot of rituals and it's been so helpful for me, especially as far as embracing other spiritualities and having understanding for other people. Um, I pray a lot. I pray all the time. I pray so much that it's just me talking to God randomly. I think I'm talking to myself, but it's not. Um, I One thing that's a big part of my, my relationship with God is um, the acknowledgement of time and time outside of the Roman calendar, time outside of clocks. And so I got hip to lunar phases um, when I was in high school. And I, I questioned whether I was really a Christian. Did I really believe in, in God? Did I really believe in Jesus Christ if I was 
you know, using these lunar cycles to to set intentions, to set goals and, and whatnot. But what I realized is that like, if I believe that God is a creator of the universe, created the planets, created the moon, the sun, I think it's a really beautiful thing to have that calendar without the calendar that humankind made. And even because I'm a person who has a cycle, like to have a, a period on a monthly basis, knowing that my body is regulated by this, this clock, by this calendar that God made, it's something that I celebrate often. And so I do get a little bit more sensitive and I try to really bunker down when it comes to new moon cycles and, um, and full moon phases. Um, and that's just a ritual that I picked up that Christianity does not teach at all. Um, but it's been a lot of figuring out what works for me and what doesn't work. And that's something that's worked for me. So prayer, um, moon rituals, and as far as church, I grew up in church, non-denominational church, and we had a white pastor. And so there was a lot of things that I didn't understand about quote unquote black church, except when I would go visit family. And the one thing that always connected me to church was praise and worship. And I don't believe church is necessary um, to have that relationship with God, but I do believe praise and worship is highly necessary. Like singing is a way that I directly feel my spirit moved. I was in a choir and it's the most, I think music is the most spiritual experience one could ever have, singing music, creating, creating music. Um, so yeah, that was long-winded, but basically praise and worship, prayer, and, and moon rituals are things that I've integrated into my faith um, outside of what typical Christians would tell me to do. I think we're we're all touching on community and how religion, um, which is, if you look at the root word, the etymology of religion, the word lig um, basically alludes to ligament. It's connection, what binds us, you know? So when we become, in, when we get in community with certain people, um, there are certain experiences that connect us. There's an emotional connection, there's a spiritual connection, there's a mental connection, and even a physical connection. And I think that's what's so powerful with spirituality, um, especially in times of movement building, is being in community with one another. There's something so special about gathering with several people and being on one accord. Um, that's, that's another thing that had me in Christianity um, really intertwined is because I too was in the choir um, and I would sing and the, the energy that I felt in the room, which at the time I perceived to be the Holy Spirit, but now I perceive things differently and I operate in a different paradigm. Um, it, was, it was just so filling. I had never felt anything like that. And it was that, that sense of being vulnerable and I've always struggled with vulnerability. So being able to be vulnerable in front of so many people while they're also being vulnerable with you, being vulnerable with one another, um, and all being on one accord expressing the same thing, whether that's the song, all referring to the same entity, the same God, the same person, all referring to one another the same way. There's so much power in that, and there's power in community, and that's what makes religion or spirituality so powerful as well, is being in community with one another, being able to share the same sentiments, being able to relate to one another. And again, going back to creating the world that we want to see. If we see another person who has the same faith as us or not as an outsider, as someone who has no connection to us, no connection to our surroundings as in the earth, the natural, the spiritual, the entire realm that we're in, then what are we really doing? You know, like, why are we really here? And I think a lot of people don't take the time 
to to ask themselves that or to ponder on that question of why we're really here who's determining what's going on you know what's determining what's going on am i taking ownership am i taking control of my power am i being a victim um am i surrendering in what type of way you know so i feel like community is very very powerful and there's people who have intentionally controlled communities whether religious or not um for their benefit and for their gain for as long as this planet has probably been here or as long as there's been life in humanoid form on this planet people have tried to manipulate one another and they understand the power of community and if you get several people to follow a cause whether religious or not there's power in that there's dominance in that potentially um and so it's just very powerful and in the times of movement building i think we need to build community with one another religious or not but of course it's very important to note that we are in spiritual warfare you know talking about rituals um there's rituals taking place every day whether that's with the certain words that are being spoken in protest whether that's with certain massacres and the way people are killed whether now or if you go back to jim crow and times of enslavement where people were hung with their blood people were boiled i don't think a lot of people talk about that but there's terms of witchcraft and spells and in every religion um the way i see it there's spells we practice spell work quote unquote on a daily basis um and again i look at the etymology of words and what are the root meanings of things rather than solely the connotation and so if you focus on what things do things classified as witchcraft or spell work have in common it's there's a community to practice with usually um there's some form of manipulating energy there is um some ritual involved and so if you think about things in the context of that we're all practicing witchcraft or the craft on a on a daily basis in a lot of religions um and people even call the bible a spell book which i think is very accurate there's a lot that goes on in the bible and there's a lot of history a lot of things that are in there um and a lot of things are left out but i think in the most important thing in being in community is your wellness so spiritual wellness emotional wellness mental wellness um and for me personally there's been elders who've really helped out with you know teaching me along the way um guiding me along the way and not every elder can help in every case but this is something that's unique to african spirituality as well with elders playing a strong role in the community and leading the community but also understanding the importance of raising the younger generation to take on their wisdom and knowledge to lead and i think that's something we need right now in movements so destiny i totally agree with you about um the importance of elders um in our societies and the role that they used to play especially in pre-colonial Africa um in addition to you know the uh in addition to um realizing how important elders are um pre-colonial many pre-colonial African societies were matriarchal and emphasized the importance of women and venerated women in their societies um and held women in equal status um so some actually had a political structure where there was a three women rulership so um i got some of this information from a journalist um she's a south african journalist so she details um how things uh were run in her specific village in south africa um so when she described it um there was one female elder that was responsible for major executive decisions governing um there's one who 
ruled over spiritual ceremonies and communication with ancestors. Like she was like a liaison um, and planned spiritual ceremonies. Uh, and then the last one was one that curated collective knowledge of the society. So that figure is called a Nikongo. I may be pronouncing that wrong, um, but she also um, was like a grandmother who commanded mastery of the natural environment. Um, so she considered the environment to be critical to the survival of the society. So um, she used the, she passed on the indigenous knowledge systems that knew how to care and cultivate the environment and the land um, and made sure that those knowledge, those systems of knowledge and wisdom were used correctly. Um, and that's something we're really missing now. That figure, that archetype, we don't really have that um, in modern day societies. And that's the reason why we our connection to um, indigenous uh, understandings of sustainability have been severed. Um, why we use resources at a at a um, exponential rate, and we don't really consider how we're what we're leaving to our next generations, because there's no one there, that grandmother figure telling us to slow down and um, bringing forth the traditions um, of our heritage. So um, let's talk a little bit more about how the environment in itself passes down elements of our heritage and how it actually strengthens our, our faith. I would say in, in response to that, that's such an interesting, um, an interesting piece of knowledge. I think it's definitely been women, um, the women in my family who have brought me to the environment, have brought me to the outdoors and to nature. Um, more than the men in my family, like my mom's Jamaican. And so most of our family on that side is spread out either in Jamaica and South Florida, Canada or England. And all of them have gardens. It's just, it's just what they do. Um, and I remember seeing pictures of myself when I was younger in my, my aunt's garden in Toronto and looking at the, the tomatoes and everything. And it was just so casual and so beautiful. And as I got older, I learned that my grandmother on my dad's side, the one who I was referring to earlier as the one who, who studied divinity in school, she worked for the Department of Agriculture. And I didn't realize that her family in Georgia, they have land where they grew kale. And when she told me that, I, this was maybe 2016 when she told me that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's incredible because Kale kind of got memefied and uh, colonized, to be very honest. It's as if white people acted like they had never seen greens before. And I was like, so you're telling me this whole time we've had this piece of nature to our name. Um, and so when you're just talking about women, it, it just reminded me of how women have brought me to nature. And even when it comes to my faith, I've been, another thing that I've learned from exploring outside of Christianity is the, the fact that God is not a man, um, and I catch myself, and I'm trying to work on it, it really is about changing your tongue and, like, changing the way that you use language, but, like, referring to God as he, sometimes I cringe at it myself because 
I'm like, I know God's not a man and God's not a woman. Like God is, God is a source and God is just so much bigger than, than gender roles. Um, but that being said, I always do feel a sense of, I feel closest to God when I'm like practicing things that, that are typically maternal, um, such as like nurturing or, or being outside and taking care of, of plants and taking care of kids. Like I feel closest to God in, in those ways. Um, not saying that only women can do those things at all, but um, yeah. So seeing, seeing like masculine and feminine energy through nature is something that doesn't get talked about excuse me, that doesn't get talked about in Christianity, but it's bigger than religion. It's really just the way that I practice my spirituality. I feel that. Um, that's my response to everything, but I really do feel you guys. And um, the concept of not having just masculine and feminine concepts in the literature really got to me because I'm like, okay, I'm navigating bisexuality and this feels like a taboo in here. And nobody really talks about the separation of masculinity and femininity from the body and just in nature. So just dispelling some of those things that I've learned through trying to become a spiritual person or be improve my spiritual health or become religious um has has developed it really has developed but going back to how you connect your spirit to the land and your health i i really had to grow with that like i connected through my plant-based lifestyle from studying Kemet. i really struggled with I really struggled with like eating well as a kid. Like I just wanted McDonald's and butter. <laughs> That's what it was. But then I developed a really unhealthy relationship with food. And it was like, okay, well, I want to be skinny, not really healthy. And then through my spirituality, through my research on how to improve my spiritual health, that's when I actually connected with, you know, nurturing yourself, nurturing your temple and um, getting connected to the life force that is nature and seeing it reflected in me. So I really, I really vibe with that. I really vibe with that. So um, how is the environment connected to your faith historically? I'm, I'm looking at Lent. Like I've, I've been thinking about Lent recently because I'm like, why does everybody give up food? But historically, that's what everybody gives up. It's winter. You know, your rations are getting short. Everybody has to figure out what they're about to give up. You know, the crops haven't come in yet. Spring isn't here yet. And um, that's how I've understood Lent historically. And, and that's apart from the calendar we practice today. We don't really look at it in the phases of the seasons that God created. We look at it, you know, so in respect to the sun, so in respect to something that isn't really real, like eight o'clock, what is that? But how is the environment connected to your faith historically, everybody? Um, I think for me, and again, I don't really practice uh, one religion or one faith, more so a mystic and studying them all, but centering myself in 
some of the foundations and principles of African spirituality. It's connected to the environment in many ways, you know, like our ancestors, ancestral communication is so important. And I think even here in the U.S. specifically, our ancestors are tied to this land, you know, so they're tied to this environment. There was bloodshed here. They're tied to this land. Um, And I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about it in that sense, but like, especially being from the South, my ancestors are tied to the land, you know, and in the sense that like where I grew up, that that land was in generations. It was generational land. Um, and not everybody has the the privilege um, or the opportunity to experience that due to several systems and structures in this nation state um, that prohibit that. But my ancestors were definitely connected to the land. And so even ancestors that I had never met when I was in an environment that they once, you know, lived in or once walked through, if I really tapped into it and if I really wanted to, I could communicate with them. I could, you know, sense their presence. And so I think even going beyond just like, you know, the natural environment, the spiritual environment where we're at is a big part of environment as well. And so for me, it's, it's the ancestors, you know, like, like I said, our ancestors are connected to this land. Our ancestors are everywhere with us. So it's how are you engaging with your environment beyond the natural, but the spiritual as well with the people you cross on the street, you know, like, how do you engage with them? What look do you give them? How do you greet them energetically, even just beyond like a touch or food? How do you, how do you greet one another? And I think when we begin to think about things beyond the visible, um, there's more interconnectedness because beyond the visible, we're not in gender constructs, as, um, as Jayla mentioned. Um, we're, not in, we're not in gender constructs. There's Western culture and Western thinking has programmed so many of us and has focused heavily on the gender construct but in many african spiritualities there was no gender construct you know there's fluidity um there's masculine and feminine qualities in nature specifically but detaching that from sex sex and gender are not the same thing um and so it's it's important to think about it in that context but for me personally that's how the environment is historically attached to my beliefs my belief systems when I when I think about how the environment is connected to Christianity historically, I always think back to the Black church and the roots of the Black church in America and how it was an answer to, it was a, a route to freedom. I'll say that. I, I think of churches as being like community centers and that's historically what they were for. Um, that's where, that's where Black people could be free and what, while it was through the religion, I think it was mainly just the the place itself. They met in, in nature. They would sneak away and get away from slave masters and celebrate God in nature. And I think that's something that I I really value my time outside because I think of like, wow, like this was where my ancestors had to go to practice their beliefs. Um, And another thing, even reading the Bible, I'm trying to get more into reading the Bible as a historical document as well as a spiritual text. And I'm thinking about how all of the stories that happen in the Bible, most of them were like outdoors. So the story of Jesus being tempted on the mountain by Satan, literally outside. And I just imagine as being so cinematic, like Jesus and Satan standing at the top of a mountain and he's having to think like, you know, and do the right thing and make the right move or whatever. And so, yeah, I think the environment has just always been around us. And and in my faith, well, 
specifically in the way that I practice my faith, I think it's um, a way that connects us. It brings us back to the setting of the ones who came before us, is what I'm trying to say. Shout out to Jesus. He was a mountaineer. Like, what was he doing on a mountaintop? Nobody questioned how he got there. (laughs) As a Christian, I feel that, I feel as though my, um, whenever I go into nature, I'm able to be in more direct communication with God. Um, It's just a piece of, a place of tranquility and peace. Um, And I'm able to uh, open my mind and my spirit up to receiving and surrendering. I'm no longer in the man-made urban environment. I'm able to just surrender to um, the natural forces at play. And even when you read the Bible and you um, look at verses like uh, Psalm 23, where it says, he leadeth me by the sides of still waters, he restoreth my soul. Even that imagery, there's an acknowledgement that water is cleansing, water is healing. Um, I don't think that um, interpretation of nature and its role in spirituality goes away in any faith. I think that remains consistent throughout all faiths and belief systems. Um, And I want to speak on voodoo for a second. So I'm Christian, but I'm also Haitian. So voodoo is part of Um, the Haitian culture. Um, And even in voodoo, when I did dabble into learning about it, there, so voodoo is an animist religion and animism means that there is a sense of soul that is connected or a sense of consciousness and divinity that's connected to plants, animals, or natural phenomenon like the rain, the lightning, things like that. Um, So those things are seen as um, communication from the divine or um, different spirits and gods at work, Um, or even just simple things like how even household items, um, sugar and uh, charcoal, all these things have a deeper spiritual meaning in voodoo and are a way for you to um, engage in rituals um, and communicate with the laws, right? So when I learned about how significant everyday things in nature had in the divine world, it really made me appreciate and value the way that I operate on this planet, the way that I treat resources like water, the way that I appreciate natural phenomenon. It sensitized me. I've always felt a certain powerful spiritual presence in nature, but getting that um, ancestral knowledge about voodoo, like it really opened my mind up um, to receiving a lot more when I go in nature. So I think if we understood the power of our re- the resources, um, the land, um, and these natural phenomenon, we would be more inclined to conserve and to, and to restore them um, if we had that significant spiritual connection well after that unload that really felt like from it was from the heart like that was beautiful really truly but how are you really and truly feeling right now with the heightened attention to injustice in our environment because that is our environment too 
So what is it like navigating that in your faith? This is journey. For me, I feel I feel activated and I really want the Black church to be more involved with the way that we treat our environment. And I was thinking about it earlier about how some of the, the ways that in Black communities that we sometimes have less concern for environment comes from convenience that we have for ourselves and for our family and for our communities. Like right now, I I have two plastic water bottles on my desk. And when I was at Howard, I would never be drinking from disposable water bottles. But right now, there's a sense of convenience that I need that prioritizes um, that just prioritizes other things over the concern I had for the environment. And like, I'm disappointed in that for myself, but again, it's just a reminder to stay active and advocate for this planet in as many ways as possible. Um, My dad keeps buying these water bottles. I wish he would stop. I've told him to stop, but anyways, um, yeah, I, I just, I feel like there's so much room for all faiths, all spiritualities, all religions to incorporate environmental justice into um, into services, into events, and into advocacy and outreach, because what is the point of practicing um, a religion or a spirituality if we all are choking on, on air that is dirty, that is awful and toxic? Um, and like I said earlier, I don't believe that much of the harm that's been done to this planet has been caused by Black people. I do not believe that. Um, however, it, it's it's like we want to be empowered in the way that we interact in our communities, but there's also so much empowerment that comes from treating our our beautiful earth with um, with the love that we should have for our neighbor, with the love that we have for our divinities, the love we have for ourselves. Kind of like Journey mentioned, I think right now, I feel very motivated um, and empowered. Just the the energy right now, everybody collectively, um, the uprisings as as they're being called, um, but everybody collectively acknowledging the injustices that are taking place and connecting them like they are in mass numbers and with diversity in the sense of sexual orientation, race, ethnicity. I don't think, and I mean, just thinking about history, I don't think to this magnitude and this unified as we are right now, um, not to say that we're extremely unified, but the unity that exists, I don't think that's happened before. Um, and even if we go back to the civil rights movement, yes, there we had white allies there for us. Yes, we had allies of other faiths, et cetera. But collectively right now, when you look out there in the movements, in the protests, it's not just Black people, it's not just white people, it's people from all backgrounds, all faiths, um, all sexual orientations, et cetera, et cetera, all different identities. And that is so powerful in unity. Again, going back to community, being in community with people who don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't believe what you believe, in the sense of religion and spirituality, but have the same morals and values that you do in the sense that we're all human, we all deserve to flourish, we all care about our environment, and thinking about environment in the context of not just the natural, but the environmental justice definition, where again, that it's, you know, the biological, the social, the political, the geographical um, structures that exist that ultimately determines one's survival or an organism's survival. Um, It goes back to, and connecting it to spirituality again, dominion and stewardship. And I think this is something in a lot of faiths, although specifically Christianity in my experience with that, that 
is heavily covered in the Bible, but it's interpreted in many different ways. People think of dominion as we're here and we have a right to have domain over whatever and operate from an extractive lens. Um, but again, that's Western culture and kind of its spin on Christianity, but spirituality as a whole and people's, um, people's viewpoints. Um, but dominion versus stewardship. Stewardship is more so, you know, we're here to, to take care of, we're here to cultivate, we're here to be in unity with um, and be a part of. And I think there's that big difference in a lot of faiths, but in a lot of people's ideology or philosophy in general, that really determines how you see yourself in connection with all that exists or the world, the natural, other human beings, other animals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and what you want to do here, you know, like what, what's important to you? For me, it's important that we're all connected because we're, we're naturally all connected, whether that's from, and I think it was brought up about nature. And if we begin to see the beauty in nature, and if we been, begin to care for nature and see the interconnect, interconnectedness there, we'll care for one another more. I think Ayana was kind of leaning on that. But if we begin to really look at nature in the sense of from the natural to the way animals, you know, their, their hands, not their hands, their limbs, or like their paws, and the connection between our hands are things more literal, like the Fibonacci sequence and leaves, but that also exist on our fingertips. You know, we really begin to see that we're not different. We're not separate. We're all here together. And that creates more of a reason for us to take care of the space that we're in, the environments that we're in, whether spiritually or physically. I, I resonate. I really do. And, um, I think what has been important for me to do was pay attention to how I'm breathing. And um, I know growing up, it's like if you breathe too hard when you were upset, it's like you had an attitude. But that's just, you know, regulating your breath, regulating your spirit's reaction to, well, you're regulating your spirit to then regulate your ego's reaction to something that happened. And... I've really had to pay attention to that right now because things are just so infuriating and I, I don't feel grounded. I feel very lost sometimes, but you know what I did? I got myself some, a seven day candle and I asked for protection and I said, okay, ancestors, um, God, universe, stars, all y'all, I need y'all to come together and ground me please, because this is wild. This is very wild. And I lit the candle and I left it lit for, I think it, it was like a medium burn. It was like five days. And of course I let it out when I wasn't upstairs or attending to it because, you know, nobody wants a fire in their house. But I, I had to establish a ritual to ground myself because one day you're reading that the Thwarts Glacier in Antarctica is going to increase the sea level and sink New York and Florida and the whole Caribbean and South Africa. And you're like, Jesus, what do I do? And then next you're seeing like state-sanctioned violence on Instagram against black people and you know it's just really like where is my place in this where is my place and um i realized that my place is really guiding myself spiritually and spreading what i've learned i'm, I'm i know i'm a student in this lifetime i know that i am a student so in my readings i've been taking notes and sharing that with my friends and sharing that on my social media and correlating it to actions 
that we can adapt in the revolution in this is not i don't consider this to be the revolution i think this is the precursor to it but i i realize that that's my role to be a student and to share my notes with my classmates and you really have to learn how to decenter yourself it's don't put yourself on a pedestal that's one of the laws of ma'at and that's been very pivotal in deciding what i'm going to do because i know that i can't be out on the front line yelling at cops. I don't have that in me. I don't have that, the voice of Shango. I don't have the voice of Oya. I don't, I really don't. But I realized that I know who those people are. I know who those Orisha are. And you know, I know they're Patakis and I know how that made me feel. And those lessons, those stories carry and how people can use that energy for their benefit. So, how is, how is everybody finding themselves, finding their space in this precursor period? Um, I'm an organizer. I've, I've always been an organizer since honestly before I could remember, but I never realized that's what it was. I've always been the type of person to bring people together or to create dialogue or um, in some cases be a mediator, but I've also always been there for people. I'm an empath, so very keen to people's energy and I want to give as much as I can um, to others to help them. I'm, I'm an 11th house Taurus stellium as well, if any of you are familiar with astrology. Um, and so community is, is very important for me. And I just want to give back. I'm also 7th house uh, Capricorn moon. So <laughs> relationships are very important with me, building personal relationships. And I think going back to what Jalen said, um, you have to decenter yourself. And it's so, it's kind of hard. It wasn't incredibly hard for me. It was a lesson to learn, but I think it's hard for a lot of us because again, we're programmed in Western culture and thinking and in the system of capitalism to center ourselves and center our progress and what we want and our desires. But we have to, again, go back to one of those principles of African spirituality of the interconnectedness of us all and want the betterment of everybody, you know, want the betterment of everything. And if we, if we don't want that, then we're not going to have, we're not going to last much longer on this planet. It, it just won't happen because we have to prioritize the health and the well-being of everyone. Anyone else? How are y'all finding your role in this precursor to the revolution? I'm finding myself, like you as well, Jalen, just figuring out my role and, and knowing what it is and what it is not. And... I too am not one to be shouting in the streets, um, not built for that. I cry easily nowadays um, and my feelings begin hurt. So recently I've been writing a lot more and that's been, it's been so therapeutic because there's a lot of things I didn't realize I processed um, that I don't process out loud, but I do process through writing. Um, and I've been using writing as as an archive method because I realized that the things that I write about right now, whether it be personal essays or whether it be something that is referencing uh, the current climate that we're living in, somebody's going to look back on it and somebody who's looking back on it is going to have insight about where we were, what we did, how we moved, what we relied on. And so I'm realizing that my, my writing is important in that sense. It's historical. Um, and also, I've been learning a lot more about Harriet Tubman. I've been doing a lot of research on her. And 
one thing that is so incredible about her that people don't recognize is that as far as the Underground Railroad, she did not free 300 plus people. That is a myth. She, which people kind of add a lot more, um, they, they have a hyperbole about her, which is a whole different story I could talk about another day. But in reality, she freed about 50 to 70 people and they were mainly friends and family members. And what I took away from that is it doesn't mean you're not doing the work because you focus on your community. So reaching out to my family, making sure they're taken care of, making sure we're all heard um, so that we can move forward together. Because I know by prioritizing my family unit and like my my friends and the people in my circle, they outpour into the people that are in their other circles. So that's how I've been navigating some stuff. I feel like during this time, um, I've been getting in touch with my disruptor and experimenter energy, um, just based on just referencing these uh, social ecosystem map that I'm looking at. Uh, I think that that is a natural um something i naturally am drawn towards but i've repressed due to social conditioning um and just due to societal pressure um so right now i'm like i said i'm in this job i don't really like it i feel stifled and i feel paralyzed um but i'm being called to um break kind of like be that first person to like break the status quo like everyone all the black employees at my not all but many of them are feeling the same way I am but no one is willing to kind of make that um risky leap um but I'm pretty sure that I'll be the first one so I definitely and this is where faith comes in when I experiment and I disrupt previously held beliefs of mind or paradigms, um, I do need my faith to kind of cushion me as I take that risk and or take that fall sometimes. Um, so right now I'm really working on speaking my truth, uh, even doing this like podcasts, um, writing, like Journey said, has really helped me to get in touch with my unique voice. Um, and being in community and collaboration um, with those who think like me, who have the same vision of the future, um, of what a new type of society can look like, that has been really refreshing. I feel like in this time, I've been, those people have been drawn, I've been drawn to those people now more than ever. So I'm grateful um, for this time that we're in. So yeah, I think that getting in touch with my authentic self has been the silver lining um, of all the pressure and stress that this moment has brought to me. Uh, so I want to ask one last question for Journey and then go into our climate update to close it out. So Journey, since you were a psychology major and you have a degree in psychology, from your experience, your lived experience, but your knowledge also as well from your studies, how do you recommend people protect and prepare their mental health right now? What are you doing and do you take your own advice? Do I take my own advice? Of course not. Um, no, I, I would say 
filter what you what you see filter what you listen to like truly guard your eyes guard your ears i'm not saying be ignorant but i am saying that our mind is very sensitive to the things that we see around us if you notice yourself getting more emotional when you're seeing a certain type of content on social media or on the tv um protect yourself from it take a break from it i do a lot of social media fast and um, it's very helpful to making sure that I process what needs to be processed and I filter out um, some of the garbage or some of the things that are a little bit more harmful to me. So as we're thinking about maintaining um, the connection to our natural, to our emotional and our spiritual environments, um, I think it's really important that we focus on the importance of resilience. Um, and in each of these realms, um, being able to be resilient is the ability to stay afloat or even recover after a change or a trauma has happened in your life or in the greater um, ecosystem. So right now, um, we all know that climate change is creating some serious disruptions in our natural physical environment. Um, and as the world changes before our eyes, it's really important that we figure a way to stay afloat and maintain um, a sense of groundedness. So um, I have a pretty sad and shocking climate update, but one that we should be aware of. Um, so I'm getting my information from CNN and Bloomberg News, and it's referring to weeks of torrential rain in southern China um, that have left millions of people without homes and have caused billions of yuan and billions of dollars in economic losses, with multiple parts of the country submerged in water. So by late June, more than 12 million people across 13 provinces had been affected, according to China's Ministry of Emergency Management. The floods, which some are calling the worst in living memory, have killed over 100 people and that death toll climbs, um, I think, daily. It's damaged 97,000 homes and has caused $25 billion in won or $3.6 billion in economic losses. So some of the videos that you, some of you may have seen on social media showed houses collapsing, cars float in water and crops dying in muddy flooded fields. Um, multiple cities in Southern China also suffered infrastructure damage. In Yangshou, an arc bridge was almost completely submerged underwater, while roads and railway tracks were also submerged. So Liu Junyan, a Greenpeace East Asia campaigner, says there is an urgent need to strengthen early warning systems for extreme weather events, to assess future climate risks and cities, and to improve flood management systems. So the frequency of precipitation and high temperature has been rising steadily over the past six decades in China. Drawing from that quote that was um, stated by that uh, activist, that's what resilience looks like. In our 
we can have resilience in our cities, in our infrastructure that can help us to um, mitigate some of the harms of climate change. We're obviously not gonna resolve them, but to deal with them and to protect people as we face these extreme weather events. So it's really important that we look at resilience in every way as our world goes through so many changes. I also want to thank Journey um, wholeheartedly for being on this podcast, for sharing her deep wisdom, her journey. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and learning from you. Thank you, Journey. Um, it's an honor to be on here. I really appreciate you all's work and making sure that all of our voices are heard. Um, and this information is going to be so helpful to somebody who wants to to love on their planet a little bit more and love on themselves a little more. Thank you. We hope so. Can you tell the audience how they can follow you and keep up with you on socials or anything like that? Sure. For now, I can be found on Instagram at pray for Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. And yeah, that's all I got for now. But some new things are coming up very soon. Awesome. Thank you. So, like I said, we're not theologians. We're still figuring this out. And um, I think it is very important that after listening to this, you put yourself in a space with people to also talk about your spirituality and assess your relationship with the environment around you. And, you know, I, I hate to give homework, but I really mean it. And um, I just want to thank all my co-hosts and Journey for being vulnerable and sharing your lived experiences and speaking your truth. And um, I really want to send this ashe to everybody listening because this is powerful and this is your power. <laughs> so um, thank you for tuning in and have a good time of day. Thanks for tuning in to the Generation Green podcast. For more information about us or to engage with us, follow us on Instagram at generation underscore underscore green or check out our website at gen-green.org. Thanks for listening.